0: Remember when everyone thought Ethereum would dump after the Shanghai upgrade? The price of Ethereum actually went up nearly 5% after withdrawals opened, but Ethereum might not be the token you should be looking at right now. Ethereum staking had its highest inflows of deposits in the week of April 24th. The amount of Ether staked is now above 19 million coins, or nearly $38 billion. Origin Ether lets ETH holders earn elevated yield on their Ethereum directly to their crypto wallets. You can deposit Ether for OETH or deposit liquid staking derivatives like STETH and RETH to boost your Ether yield. So get started today and start stacking ETH faster. Mint OETH with your Ether and watch your balance start to grow daily. Head to realvision.com slash OETH now to learn more.
1: Ken Harad. Co-founder and Chief External Affairs Officer at the crypto security and compliance firm Solis Labs. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing, Hen.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Ash. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, as I mentioned in, the, in when we chatted a little bit before, it's been way too long. So very excited to uh, join you guys.
1: Far too long about here. It's always a pleasure to have you with us, Ken. But especially uh, today, there's so much news flow to talk about in terms of the things that you guys focus on at Solidus. We're going to get to that in just one second. But first, I want to take a look at what's happening what's right happening now in the market. Now, the market. Bitcoin. Uh, I'm sorry. We get some interference coming in there. I hope you're not hearing that on the line. Uh, Bitcoin right now trading at $27,000, it's up uh, about uh, 1% of the last 24 hours. Trailing seven days, it's off about half of 1%. Ethereum trading at $1,800, it's up about half a percent in the last 24 hours, and it's basically flat on a trailing seven-day basis. I want to talk a little bit about Bitcoin. There's some Bitcoin-related news out from Tether. I'm just going to read this quote directly from the Tether website. Quote, starting this month, Tether will regularly allocate up to 15% of its net realized operating profits towards purchasing Bitcoin. Tether anticipates that the current and future BTC holdings in its reserves will not exceed the shareholder capital cushion and will further strengthen and diversify the reserves. That news coming out today on Bitcoin from Tether. Ken. we alluded to it at the top of the show. There's a lot going on in your space, legal, regulatory, and compliance. Before we start that deep dive, tell us a little bit about Solidus Labs and
2: what you do there. Uh, So Solidus uh, was named about two years ago Category Definer for Crypto Market Surveillance, and that is really our uh, claim to fame. We specialize in detecting, preventing various forms of market manipulation all the way uh, across uh, CFI crypto markets and into the the, you know, the bleeding edge of uh, DeFi uh, uh, market integrity Uh, and, you know, it's a fascinating world. Uh, We, in practice, what we help our clients do is, uh, you know, find the most cost efficient, uh, constructive way to comply with regulation in a way that mitigates crypto's risks uh, in order to enable their potential, but without limiting uh, the the, you know, the merits of decentralization. Yeah.
1: So I want to jump to this, something that I alluded to at the very top of the show, some news flow coming from FATF. This is an organization that probably lots of folks are not familiar with. Hope you can tell us a little bit about it. Uh, It's an international organization that coordinates the activities uh, for anti-money laundering and financial crimes. This uh, report out titled An End to the Lawless Crypto Space. That's the title of the report, uh, and it continues in a similar vein. From there, I want to just quote from this. This is the lead. While the risks have increased, crypto assets continue to operate in a virtually lawless global environment. Countries need to make take urgent action to shut down lawless spaces, which allow criminals, terrorists, and rogue states to use crypto assets. As it's February 2023, plenary, that's a meeting, uh, FATF agreed to accelerate implementation of AML-CFT controls and supervisions in the crypto asset sector. Uh, They come out swinging there. Explain a little bit about what this report is, what it says, and what its significance is in the global crypto space.
2: Right, so FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, is uh, essentially the OECD's arm that, you know, focuses on joint efforts to prevent, uh, you know, money laundering and, you know, essentially the use of finance, uh, you know, for illicit activities, terrorism included. Uh, so important to say it's a very important organization that does very important work that protects all of us. Um, you know, and FATF has been, you know, FATF and the OCD has has been, as, as you noted, like pretty proactive for a few years now. Uh, you know, they uh, eh, adopted, eh, they adopted, eh, the OCD adopted, the travel rule for crypto which you know has been quite controversial in the industry but uh, why don't we explain uh, what the travel rule is for folks who may not know essentially it's uh you know in in traditional finance essentially there's there are requirements for banks to you know who know who their clients are and be able to share information about them so that when money flows from one financial institution to another uh you know there's an ability to to track it and if it's somehow uh, connected or affiliated with illicit activity uh you know you know, uh, regulators and law enforcement can do something about it. Uh, now, of course, in crypto and you know DeFi, digital assets, uh, you know, generally they they create a lot of new challenges alongside the new opportunities. One of those challenges, you know, that we hear a lot about is a higher degree of an- anonymity, uh, you know, permissionlessness and open markets. It's interesting, right? Because in a lot of ways, a lot of the biggest uh, merits of crypto—the fact that it's more accessible, the fact that it's decentralized—are also uh, you know, unique challenges from a, from a uh, regulatory and particularly market integrity perspective. Uh, and essentially what you're seeing here is a-, is so a What do you know, mean by market integrity? So, you know, market integrity refers to markets that are fair and healthy, meaning, uh, you know, prices are not manipulated, par- uh, yeah, volumes are not manipulated, but it also extends to, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, as, a, as an umbrella term also for markets that don't have a lot of scams in them, markets right. that are, That are fair. And now, let me be clear. I mean, it's really critical for markets to operate well. It's well known and proven over years now that markets that have, uh, you know, guardrails around market integrity and that require actors to, um, you know, uh, have a degree of responsibility for how their platforms are used, uh, you know, just operate better and therefore serve society better. Yeah, we've got a lot of different things to
1: unpack here. Uh, we're talking about market integrity, understanding that the markets that you are acti- that you are actively participating in uh, have real trading volume, that the prices are, are real and they're not being wash traded or something else happening behind the scenes to manipulate them. Uh, you've got the AML-CFT, anti-money laundering, combating financing and terrorism component of it. Uh, you've got general fraud scans and abuses. How do you think about that landscape? What's your roadmap for those high-level threats or do you think about them in a different context?
2: Ah, there's a lot of different ways to answer that question, uh, and it's a big one. I mean, look. first of all, you know what? One thing that I really want to, you know, get off my chest when we're when we're looking at a at a headline like the one you just read uh, coming yeah. out of ATF is, you know, there's some there's a part of it that's a bit um, upsetting because, you know, if you talk to the you know if you talk to uh, traditional finance money laundering experts, they would tell you that the estimation is that only about three percent of U.S. dollars that you know, are ever that are la- that are laundered are ever detected, right? Uh, we really need to remind ourselves and remind the world um, that um, market manipulation, fraud, scams, money laundering were not invented by crypto. Uh, they are yes. at the moment proportionally high in crypto, uh, and that is natural for a new ecosystem, a new industry that's you know, uh, rooted on technology, rooted in technology that's still being battle tested, where regulation is evolving, and also where there's a lot of buzz. Buzz, uh, you know, oftentimes can be, uh, you know, a scammer or, you know, uh, a a criminal's best friend uh, sometimes because it makes people take rash decisions. Uh, So, you know, this kind of, this triangle of things make it natural that in a new industry there are going to be challenges. That being said, you know, uh, we, we as a crypto industry shouldn't use that as an excuse, if we want crypto's potential to be uh, uh, fulfilled, uh, if we want the, you know the bigger vision even of DeFi and Web3 to manifest, then you know it's not going to happen if these are uh, non-safe markets where there's no integrity and people don't know that when they invest their money in them, when they use them to transfer their money, etc., they're going to be safe. Uh, to your question, uh, you know th- what you're seeing is a long-lasting, long-term effort by regulators to understand how to uh ad, you know, adapt regulation in order to be able to address these concerns in crypto markets. And the way to address them is not the same. Uh there are a lot of people who believe that the travel rule applied exactly the same way to digital asset markets, to DeFi markets, and again, we have to acknowledge that they're within the crypto space, within the digital space, there are different ecosystems by now, but applied exactly the same, uh, you know, could you know potentially cripple the potential and also just might not work. So the way I the way we the way I think about it is there are you know for for a firm like us that helps companies try to comply uh, with these rules while also you know building flourishing uh, businesses uh, you know that that you know bring people into crypto and help fulfill its potential. Welcome back. We lost the connection there. Some technical
1: difficulties. Glad to have you back with us, Hen. Uh, let's talk a little bit more. Uh, about what you were talking about there and unpack a little bit of the global regulatory structure component of this as well, uh, help our viewers understand what FATF is, as I understand it, uh, it's a sort of an international umbrella organization that coordinates activities, uh, between international law enforcement, central banks, uh, and other regulators in different nations. Is that correct in terms of, uh, the authority they have is it's
2: essentially a coordinating role? Yes, one hundred percent. It helps coordinate the efforts between uh, o- OECD countries uh, when it comes to preventing money laundering and illicit uh, finance uh, of various kinds. Uh, you know, it, it de- it, once, uh, you know, uh, a rule or a guideline or regulation is adopted by the OECD, it's essentially FAT's role to uh, help sure, help make sure that it's implemented.
1: That's Uh, the Organization of Economic Coordination and Development. This is another umbrella organization that coordinates economic activity, uh, largely here in the developed world. I I wanted to touch on some of the real-world implications for this and how these knock-on effects uh, occur. I believe this, uh, what we read earlier, uh, this this statement that was out from a blog post earlier today by the head of FATF uh, follows on the heels of a report, uh, essentially sort of cataloging precisely the types of activities that FATF is concerned about but i wanted to touch on something just so people can follow through this through thread of how policy works i wanted to read a quote from the financial times this is from uh three days ago i believe uh, talking about precisely how these things unfold quote the top u.s cryptocurrency enforcement czar is promising a crackdown on illicit behavior on digital platforms th- saying the scale of crypto crime has grown quote significantly In the past four years, the Department of Justice is targeting cryptocurrency exchanges along with mixers and tumblers that obscure the trail of transactions. Yoon Young Choi, who was appointed director of the agency's National Cryptocurrency Enforcement Team last year, told the Financial Times in an interview. The DOJ, and this is really interesting, is targeting companies that commit crimes themselves or, or allow them to happen such as enabling money laundering, she said. So this gives you a sense of exactly how those FATF recommendations uh, actually feed through into real national policies happening here in the United States. This from an interview with the Financial Times out earlier this week. Talk a little bit about this regulatory action specifically uh, or this this claim of uh, enhanced enforcement and more generally about the current state of play that you see from central banks, national governments, and law enforcement to enforce precisely the challenges that we're talking about.
2: So, first of all, it's important to say that um, a lot of, you know, while there's increased uh, collaboration and coordination between uh, governments in the world, there are also a lot of different approaches. And it's really interesting to see. I, I don't know if you can see the, uh, you know, the black marks under my eyes. I've been jet-lagged for three weeks in a row now. Uh, I've been traveling, uh, you know, I was in Dubai and in in Abu Dhabi in the UAE where there's a really interesting, where there are very interesting developments regarding regulation. Then Amsterdam, obviously, uh, Mika, a, a marketing crypto assets regulation. Their legislation was just passed, and I'm now in Hong Kong after passing through Singapore. Uh, all of those, you know, have slight are in slightly different stages. Uh, I think right, Yes. so uh, I think uh, you're you're making a really good point that part of the one of the best ways to deal with illicit finance is to make sure that if someone does commit a crime and makes uh, profits off of it, they can't cash out, right? Um, you know, while the DeFi permissionless world, you know, there's at the moment very little uh, that can be done in order to try and regulate it. And the truth is that, you know, if it as it continues to grow, there are ways to, you know, there are a lot of ways and there, there are a lot of great things uh, companies like ours are doing to provide tools. And I'm happy to talk about that in a second. But, uh, you know, once someone, let's say, hacks an account or, uh, you know, manipulate, you know, uh, does a pump and dump and makes some profits off of it, the best way for them to cash out is to, Get that, to- get that into a token that is traded on centralized exchanges and cash that into dollars. That is really one of the, you know, the, the fiat on and off right. ramps are key for the law enforcement effort to prevent uh, you know, to, to essentially uh, discourage uh, crime by making sure that it cannot be cashed out. Um right. and and that I believe is the reason for the focus on centralized regulated and exchanges. Um now, and you know. A uh, crypto firms does have a responsibility to try and make sure that uh, those funds are not cashed out, and I believe I, I, I believe and I know from experience working with those teams that they're taking this responsibility in both in both hands. They're they're grabbing it and they're uh, doing everything they can. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done, and because it's such an evolving space, there's constantly new kinds uh, of uh, uh, fraud, of crime, of scams, of forms of manipulation. So the the it's it's an evolving battle. It is, by the way, also in traditional finance, and again, um, you know, it's a problem in traditional finance as well. Uh, you know, the, generally speaking, the way, and I believe I started saying it right before I dropped, and again, apologies for that. I think the internet, in, the internet in the hotel here, collapsed for ten seconds. Um, there's a bit of a short-term effort here to help, you know, for us to help crypto firms uh, to do their best to build compliance programs that resemble, to some degree, the way compliance has been done in traditional finance. It's obviously more feasible in you know, CFI uh, than it is in, in DeFi. Uh, but there's a bigger, longer term effort also that needs, you know, that is very important to really understand how do you do that in a decentralized world. It's not going to look the same. You can't apply the travel rule the same way you do in TradFi to a fully decentralized world. And for anyone who believes in the potential of decentralized finance to create more opportunities for people, more accessibility, etc., you know, if we want this not to be, you know, totally cracked down on, and really kind of push to the sidelines, we have to work with regulators to develop new approaches to regulation and also to introduce new technologies that actually help show regulators that, you know, when blockchain-based finance, it, when it comes to blockchain-based finance, there's actually a lot of advantages for law enforcement, you know, um, so you, you see there's like a short-term effort and a longer-term effort as the industry continues to grow, as DeFi continues to be adopted. Uh, one, you know, example that I can give is we released a report based on one of our uh, a, a you know um, a risk monitoring tools that essentially scans uh, you know scam contract. Eh, sorry, it scans it scans smart contracts deployed token smart contracts deployed on the twelve top EVM chains, eh, and to detect eh, hard-coded rug pulls, meaning uh, tokens that just by looking at the code with the right kind of technology, you can you can see that they're meant. To steal people's money. There are all kinds of ways to do it, you know, but basically oftentimes it would just mean that people can deposit money but the code would not, the way the, the smart contract is structured, would not allow them to withdraw it. Now when we started using that tool to analyze you know the big picture, we found that on average about every four minutes a new scam like that is deployed. Obviously that's horrendous uh, and obviously that's something that really disconcerns Regulator, but at the same time it's really interesting to discuss this with regulators in law enforcement because the other side of the equation is that unlike in traditional finance, once it's on a blockchain, because of the transparency, because it's code-based, you can detect a scam the moment it is deployed. That cannot be done in traditional finance. In traditional finance, usually for a scam to be uh, detected and uh, enforced against, enough people have to be scammed to report it. So we're having really interesting conversations with regulators globally because they see both sides. And they also, I think, understand that, you know, DeFi is here to stay and it's not really something that could be right. completely trained in or prevented. So, right. uh, again, short-term, do our best to to raise the standards, make them a similar, you know, raise them to similar levels as in traditional finance. Long-term, uh, you know, really find new tools and, Right. Well, you know, there's a lot
1: to talk about there and we're going to talk about tools in just a few moments because I know that you guys have just released a new one for insider trading. Uh, But, you know, to get back to your earlier point, I think it's very interesting what you uh, said mirrored uh, quite closely. Uh, what the Director of National Cryptocurrency Enforcement at the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, Ms. Choi, said earlier, this idea of cutting off uh, the access points, the on-ramps and off-ramps, this is something that's incredibly important in the system uh, in terms of the view of law enforcement. But I wanted to ask you this bigger, sort of more philosophical question. Uh, if you go up to, for example, the Ethereum Foundation website, uh, you know you'll see a couple of terms repeated a great deal. One of them, of course, is privacy. Uh, And another one, which I think is becoming even more prominent on the Ethereum website, is something called credible neutrality, which is the idea that all actors on a network be treated the same way, Uh, meaning uh, that the Ethereum ecosystem is agnostic about uh, some of the things that we've been talking about here today, uh, specifically things like OFAC and SDN compliance. I wonder if this is kind of a, an immovable force uh, slamming into, uh, or an irresistible force moving into a, an immovable object. Do we get to this point where there's just this philosophical conflict? I think what folks in the Ethereum Foundation uh, would say would be, look, these things should be handled uh, at a different layer of the system. In other words, exactly what you were just talking about, the idea that the on-ramps and off-ramps can be regulated, but the current backbone in the view of Uh, many people who are most passionate about things like DeFi is that the underlying networks uh, that empower that transaction basis, uh, Ethereum, to to name just one example, remain credibly neutral, meaning outside of the scope of enforcement. This, to me, is a, a considerable philosophical question about how this is going to be treated. Give us your thoughts on that challenge and also some of the opportunities you may see there.
2: So, as I said, I'm a huge believer in the potential of decentralization. I'm also a believer that uh, decentralization uh, isn't a binary; it's a spectrum, um, and that in reality, it's it's never going to be one or the other. Um, essentially, what decentralized finance is doing, it's expanding the realm of available ways for people to engage with finance. But it's a spectrum. Uh, over time, I believe, and we're already seeing this, right? You're going to have a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, a lot of different approaches to utilizing the blockchain. Along this spectrum, some of them will be completely decentralized, and uh, you know will attract people who, for whatever reason, feel that's the best way. That's the way they want to manage their their finance. But some of them are going to be somewhere in the middle. You know, maybe uh, you know a system that are partially permissionless, maybe a permissionless system that has a degree of governance, and you know, therefore, a degree of ways to let's say, uh, you know, a, a stop transactions, stop stop activity, etc so uh, where do you think
1: those uh transaction stop capabilities would be embedded in the system would it be embedded at the layer of the on and off ramps or would it be embedded in the protocol itself to me it seems like that's one of the the key aspects of the debate Uh, and i sometimes wonder when i hear uh, folks talking about this if the differences are kind of being papered over with language that really seems the core of it will the systems themselves the the layer one protocols will they remain agnostic? Will they remain credibly neutral? Uh, and will the enforcement layer take place on the on and off ramps? At least that's the way that I frame the issue. Maybe you see it differently.
2: No, no, I, I, I agree with you, uh, and I think that there are definitely going to be ones where there remains complete, you know, permissionlessness and openness, uh, you know, in the in the underlying uh, layers. Uh, but they're also going to be. Uh, Com- you know, uh, approaches that are com- you know that are compromised. That uh, you know, maybe there's uh you know m- maybe maybe a, a protocol that has inherent checks and balances in it. Uh, maybe uh, you know, again, as I mentioned, kind of a, 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 a you know uh, mixed approaches. Uh, I obviously, I mean, I hope it, you know. I think m- most people in the crypto industry would agree that you know, a code and engineers should not be regulated as if they're financial institutions, mm-hmm. but right that also doesn't mean that they don't have responsibility for what they're building. Um it's actually really exciting to see how uh, people are trying to solve this in di- on different levels in different uh ways and different approaches. You know, staking for example is a fascinating world, right? And it's really uh growing as the, you know, almost like the the guard, the, the the you know, the, the the absolute foundation of a web3 economy, right? Uh you know, but it, it, but again, like I mean, it, it, You know, over time, there's going to be a need to create different ecosystems within that. Some of them might be completely compliant, others less. And it's important to say that's also true in traditional finance. Traditional finance is entirely regulated. You have very aggressively regulated asset classes like securities, and you have asset classes that are very mildly regulated like penny stocks. Generally speaking, uh, money, uh, you know, liquidity flows to security and stability, and you know, uh, well regulated but still free yeah. uh, markets operate best. well you know pe- penny
1: stocks of course here in the u.s and elsewhere are still regulated uh, but there are different rules that apply depending upon the capitalization uh, of these companies uh this is the idea that you want to have more flexibility and you want to allow investment to potentially flow to smaller uh, entities and i think there's probably a metaphor to be made uh, here as well talking about these different ecosystems uh one of the things that uh, sort of uh, triggered in my mind when you were talking Uh, just now is this idea of the challenges that we have uh, with this sort of international harmonization and the potential uh, for certain uh, jurisdictions to get ahead of others. One of the things that lots of folks here in the U.S. are concerned with, uh, many people in the crypto industry believe that we are in this period uh, here in the U.S. of regulation by enforcement, which essentially means uh, they don't tell you where the line in the sand is. They only tell you when you've stepped over it. Ah, uh, this is a common complaint that we hear. Uh, obviously, I suspect that law enforcement has a different perspective on this, and that regulators have a different perspective. But that's the view inside the space. Inside the space, and one of the challenges that we face uh, is this absence of sort of proactive. Uh, legislation, regulation, and rulemaking to allow good actors in the space to know where they can uh, conduct business. Uh, This is from a news story from Coindesk. I just want to read this quote. Uh, In France, we are proud to be pioneers with the crypto services asset program provider known as PSAN, that's a French acronym, that was legislated in 2019. This follows on uh, the MICA, the Markets and Crypto Assets Legislation. But this is the, in, the national specific regulation that's being implemented in France. Uh, Benoit de Juvenet, Secretary General of the, well, I'm not going to try and pronounce this in French, uh, but the uh, the acronym is AMF. and If my French isn't too terrible, that means essentially uh, the Authority for Financial Market uh, Regulation. Uh, So essentially what you see here uh, is nations saying, hey, listen, we have a regulatory framework. If you're somewhere that doesn't, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, U.S., if you're somewhere that doesn't, come and headquarter your company here. We'll give you a framework uh, to conduct business. To what extent are we challenged here in the U.S. and in other jurisdictions by this absence of proactive regulation, legislation, and rulemaking that allow actors in the space who want to be good actors to sort of... Operate within the parameters of known regulation and law.
2: Uh, so, as as someone who's always been a proponent of constructive regulation, I think that over my my personal stance is that over the past three four months, uh, you know, a certain rubicon has been crossed. Uh, mm. You know, I think uh, it's fair to say, in retrospect, twenty twenty two was the year of regulation by enforcement. Twenty twenty three, uh, you know, is the year of legislation, meaning providing. Uh, you know, new rules or, you know, amended rules that can address these concerns. Uh, I actually think there's a real concern because of the way, um, you know, regulation by informants has been so dominant in the U.S. that it can discourage compliance and it can obviously push companies to try and operate elsewhere. You have companies that have spent millions over the years, tens of millions, and have potentially lost billions trying to be as compliant as they can. And they are the first ones uh, you know, uh, sometimes it seems like they're the first ones who, you know, uh, are indicted. Part of the cost of being fully regulated is also that you're under more scrutiny, but there's also a huge value. You're considered more safe, more reliable, you're more attractive to institutions. Yeah, I can tell you that, like, speaking from, you know, our own pipeline, it's all lab, like, you know, we're seeing a flow of interest and in actual uh, migration in some cases to other jurisdictions. Europe is one of them. Micah. Right. a very exciting piece of legislation not only because it provides clarity also because of some of what it includes things like smart contract regulation discussion of um of uh, staking but you're really seeing that it's 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 you know it's the next level and you know and i'll kind of do a quick brief of like my experiences over the, the last few weeks you know the next really staging you know the fact that legislation is there doesn't mean we're we're there yet right it means we're in the right direction meaning now there's a long period and you're seeing that for example uh with the work of uh marché financier i believe is the you know the full term for amf in france uh, there it is there's going to be a process now where the legislation needs to turn into actual uh requirements uh and there's a real excitement among uh you know some of the leading uh, platforms in europe to help drive those standards they can be driven by regulators but they can also be driven by the industry showing how it's taking those the new rules and and turning them into compliance stacks into technological right. rules etc
1: boy this is really complicated stuff so essentially you have uh, the legislation that happens at the supranational level uh, at the european parliament european council uh, and then you have the The legislative implementations at the national level, then you have the rulemaking, and then you have the compliance stack that gets built on top of it. Uh, I know that that's a lot to digest, but that's basically the framework of what you're talking about here. Uh, I don't know about indictments here in the U.S., but it certainly seems like civil enforcement action has been the course that uh, uh, regulators have gone uh, with Wells Notices uh, and other types of enforcement actions here in the U.S., but uh, to your point... I think everyone believes that the world would be a better place if there could be constructive regulation. By the way, I think even uh, folks who are uh, in many ways concerned about crypto seem to share that belief. They believe that uh, if you could actually have implementation uh, of of bright lines, uh, it might be better for the world. Uh, certain regulators may not, but that's just the period of uncertainty that we find ourselves in. Remember, folks, this is incredibly new technology, uh, and it took us 90 years to build out, for example, here in the U.S., our securities laws from the Acts of 1933 and 34, uh, up to the current rulemaking, uh, and then the jurisprudence on top of that. It's a lot going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, and look, I think uh, it is important to say that you can't really fairly compare U.S. capital markets to capital markets anywhere else in the world or U.S. economy to economies else in the world. You know, uh, I think this—the last time I checked the statistic—is that about 60% of the world capital is in the U.S. capital markets. You can see why that would potentially make regulators here feel like they have more to protect and be more prudent. Um, also, you know, sometimes it's a question of political systems, right? Um, you know, the EU Parliament was, you know, hadn't, you know, was able to politically get the will and uh, consensus to pro- promote M- Mika. You know, in the U.S., it's a different story. It's becoming increasingly partisan, and we're going into an election year, which doesn't help. Um, you know, you, they're interesting, there's interesting work uh, in a lot of other places, you know, in the UAE, for example, where a lot of the companies that we're speaking with are looking at the UAE very seriously. You have very, very proactive. Ken, let me ask you a question on precisely that point, uh, and I'm
1: curious if the UAE is involved in this. Uh, but uh, Ralph on the Real Vision website wants to know, what are currently your three top jurisdictions for crypto?
2: Ah, oh, I'm a person who hates picking favorites as a rule, but I will do my best. Um, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Mika is really an outstanding piece of legislation. It's going to be very interesting to see how it turns into requirements and in compliance programs, like you said. And there's a huge opportunity for the industry here to drive standards and take the lead and, sh- and, and show regulators uh, what's the right way to do it based on the legislation provided. Uh, so the EU has definitely become dramatically uh, more interesting once that was put in place. In the UAE, you have, um, you know, young, very proactive and very focused regulators. Uh, You know, it's important to remember that the UAE is divided into seven Emirates. Uh, So, you know, things are different between uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, but uh, the bottom line is that uh, there's very forward thinking there and it's already a very good place. I mean, ADGM, Abu Dhabi Global Markets has come out relatively recently with guidelines that are very clear. It allowed us, for example, to create a compliance playbook uh, that in a straightforward manner helps our clients understand how they can, you know, uh, structure their program. Hmm. Hong Kong and Singapore is a very interesting dynamic. Uh, Hong Kong was very much ahead of the curve back in uh, 2019 when we put out a policy paper that already included a lot of great ideas, uh, a lot of great uh, guidelines on what a crypto compliance program and risk monitoring program needs to include. And then a licensed program based on it, and some of the most sophisticated organizations, crypto platforms in the world, operate here. Uh, Singapore, you know, during COVID, uh, Hong Kong, you know, uh, you know, kind of slowed down a little bit, and Singapore, one one could argue, took the lead, and there are a lot of firms that are li- that are you know becoming licensed licensed there. Mm. So uh, you know, I did pick favorites; it ended up being four instead of uh, three. I hope that's okay.
1: Great food for thought, and it's a great question as always, Ralph. Uh, talking of white papers, which you just mentioned there, I wanted to highlight this. We tease this a little bit at the top of the show, the new tool that you guys have out. You guys have a white paper outdated today. Solidus Labs debuts first ever insider trading detection tool designed to monitor decentralized exchanges. This is literally out today. Tell us a little bit about that tool, what the goals behind it are and why you think it's important to implement. Yeah,
2: well, it goes back to market integrity. Um, you know, at the moment, you know there there are studies and whoever is looking at this, uh, you know, at this at the the you know the press release now sees that at the top it says that there's research that is con- you know that raises concerns that 25 percent of all tokens are accompanied by some sort of insider trading before uh, insider trading uh, once they're listed. Uh, you know we have reasons to believe that in many cases the numbers are actually uh, significantly higher. Now, what does that mean? If you believe in crypto, you know you can't possibly think that it's a good idea that any token that's out there, uh, you know, would be an opportunity for people who happen to be friends of someone who knows about the listing or, you know, for any other reason, you know, to make more profits on behalf of the market. It's just unfair and unfair markets don't last long, right? Um, Again, we're trying here to use, uh, you know, the the inherent, we're trying to use the challenge as an opportunity, the inherent transparency, the fact that a lot of these, you know, that insider trading activity happens on DEXs you know, means that it's also fully transparent. You can see who's right. buying and who's selling. And essentially, the tool we released utilizes that in order to help our clients, um, you know, uh, monitor. And, you know, some of those clients are platforms. Some of those are investors. Some of them are regulators themselves to mm. help them monitor when a, new, when, a, when, a, when a centralized crypto exchange lists a new token to make sure that there isn't someone making unfair profit off of it. Um, Ken, interesting stuff. We're
1: almost out of time here. Unfair markets don't last long. I love that quote. But I wanted to give you an opportunity, 30 seconds, uh, to just give us your key thoughts, final takeaways from this conversation.
2: Uh, All of the amazing potential of crypto is not going to be fulfilled if we're not able to mitigate the risks and and make sure that these are markets that are fair. Accessibility, openness, uh, decentralization are all great. But something is not if something something is accessible not just because anyone could use it. It's you know accessibility also means that anyone can use it safely. If my grandmother can't buy a new exciting token that she found out about, I don't know uh, where, uh, then uh, you know without without it being uh, manipulated in a way that ultimately hurts her investment, just because someone had that information, then ultimately she's not gonna adopt crypto. And if our goal is for more people to adopt crypto, we have to mitigate the risks. We have to turn the challenges. Uh, 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 into an opportunity. And that's exactly what we, and a lot of other people in the industry are doing, uh, working with regulators, uh, you know, to address. Ken, spectacular
1: conversation is always and especially timely. Great to have you here when there's news flow. Uh, wonderful to have you interpret it for us. Thank you so much. Hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you. Great to be here,
2: Ash, as always
1: that's it for today remember to sign up for real vision crypto it's free go to realvision.com forward slash crypto that's realvision.com forward slash crypto we'll be back again tomorrow with another special episode of asking for a friend where elaine and jeremy will dive into the world of nft something that elaine is very passionate about make sure to join them live see you at 9 a.m pacific time noon eastern 5 p.m in london on the real vision crypto daily briefing thanks for watching everybody
0: Today's episode of the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by Origin Ether. Earn elevated yield on your Ethereum directly into your crypto wallet. Deposit Ether for OETH or deposit liquid staking derivatives to boost your Ethereum yields now. Head to realvision.com slash OETH now to learn more.